Uh, week two of Earthquake, uh, the sermon series of biblical proportions. It's when life literally is shaking beneath your feet. We're going to read Mark chapter 13 um, for our scripture. Mark chapter 13, it says, Then when he went out with out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here? And Jesus answered and said to them, Do you see all these great buildings? Not one stone will be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us when these things will be and what will be the sign of all these things that will be fulfilled. And Jesus answered them and began to say, Everybody say, and Jesus answered. Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and will deceive many. But when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be troubled, for such things must happen, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and the kingdom against kingdom, and there will be earthquakes in various places, and there will be famines and troubles. These are the beginning of sorrows. But watch out for yourselves, for they will deliver you up to councils, and you will be beaten in the synagogues. You will be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for the testimony to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all the nations. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that your word equips us for life. God, I pray today that your word would accomplish what it's sent out to do. And Lord, that you would let fear be cast aside. And Lord, that we could live a life of faith, believing and trusting in you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So as Jesus here in this story is walking along with his disciples, and he's training them, and he's been spending a lot of time with them for about three years of discipleship, of allowing them to become the person that he created them to be and teaching them. And if we've been saved more than three years, then we should be everything the disciples was. Amen? We should be all that he has taught them to be. We should be learning on the same track because he's not a respecter of persons. But as Jesus is there and he's, he's telling them that it's coming to the end of his uh, course on this life and he knows that his days are few and he, his father spoke to him and let him know that time is of the essence. And as Jesus is walking through, his disciples, can you imagine being Jesus and knowing that you're getting ready to leave this world, that you're getting ready to die, that your time here is over, and you're walking along and your disciples that you've been training for three years to love people, to cherish people, to honor people, to bring people in that are not allowed into the mix that most Jewish people went and he went by uh, Samaritans and he went through all these other villages that everybody else left to the wayside. Jewish people wouldn't even leave him. He tells them about a story about um, the good Samaritan that comes along and does good deeds when everybody else priests and everybody else walks by other people and leaves them vacant, leaves them hurting. And Jesus is walking by and he's coming out of this temple and he's going through this. And you can imagine that perplexing thing that's going on in your mind as you're thinking about it's about over. And he's walking through, his disciples start bragging. You see that big temple over there, Jesus? Wow, look at that building. Wow, look at them rocks, how, how good of craftsmanship it was that they cut those out. and Just imagine the quality. So as Jesus is walking through and he's, he's hearing this, I could kind of see him sort of kind of getting mad, wouldn't you? 
If you're thinking, man, I'm trying to teach you how to care for people, and here you're looking at buildings. You, you see, because if you put this in context, you'll see that uh, the first King David, he wanted to build a temple, but he wasn't allowed because he was a man of blood, God told him. But his son Solomon was allowed to build a temple. So Solomon builds this great uh, ginormous uh, temple, and it's, it's all this gold and all this shiny stuff, and everybody's just so happy with this temple that they built there in Jerusalem. And then years later, a few kings later, they get into this uh, place where the Israel, or Israel, the nation, gives up on God. They turn their back on God, and God allows the Babylonian Empire to come in and tear down the temple. It would be kind of like us losing maybe the White House. Or maybe the Pentagon. You remember when it got hit a few years ago? How hard that hit our heart. It's like, oh no. It's kind of an earthquake, right? It's kind of something that shakes you to your core and you're like, what is going on? Kind of like the morning of 9-11. So their temple was completely tore down and just dismantled and they were taken away captive and they ended up over in Iraq and Iran, somewhere there about in that region, and they were, they were uh, slaves, they were prisoners of the Babylonian Empire. Seventy years later, we know the story about uh, Nehemiah comes back and he builds the walls because Nehemiah's sad about seeing that the, their old uh, uh, capital, their old temple was torn down and he was saddened and he builds the walls back up. And then generations later, there comes a guy along and, and, and they build this temple back in Israel, right on the Mount of Olives where it is, or on opposite side of the Mount of Olives on a temple mount where we see today that it's vacant. The temple's gone. It's no longer there. So as they look at that, and they're looking, they're in awe of this new temple that was built back in their time. And Jesus wasn't amazed by that. You see, because as humans, we look at things, and we're prideful about what we have. Amen? We look and we'll say, well, wow, do you see, you know, I built this new building, or maybe I built myself a barn, or maybe I, I, I put concrete in my driveway, or, or we look at all these things, right? And Jesus is trying to teach us you're not looking at things, you're not worshiping things, you should be helping people. Amen? That don't put our trust or our faith in earthen vessels. We shouldn't put our trust in the things where moths and roughs corrupt. Somebody got plastered at the back door. You got to watch them doors, though. They'll get you. You can't see people on the other side of them. <laughs> that was your child. <laughs> yeah. So it's got to be somebody's kid, don't yeah. it? So somebody in the room's like, was that mine? <laughs> yeah. Laney was chasing her sister. That's okay. Her sister's birthday yesterday. Laney was all about sharing yesterday. It's birthday party. She was, you know, if it's your little sister's birthday party, she was all about, yeah, we got to share these toys. And I told her, I said, you do remember whenever it's your birthday, Carver's going to have to share your toys, right? So it goes both ways. Uh, we're pretty good at sharing when it's everybody else's turn. But they were so proud of this temple. And Jesus, looking, he told them, don't be worried about this temple. Don't be uh, so proud of your temple because not too many days from now there's going to be an earthquake and when that earthquake happens we know in the rest of this story that when Jesus is hanging on a cross that an earthquake happens and the Bible says that the veil was torn in two because the temple was shaken and torn apart by an earthquake 
So what Jesus is predicting and promising becomes true within a few days. Earthquakes happen. So as Jesus says this, and he, he speaks to him, he said, don't be so proud of your temples. They're going to fall down. They're going to be gone. But at the end of time and the end of days, there's going to be something left when you're standing before God that you're going to have to give account for your words, right? That's what we're going to give account for is what did we do with Jesus? So Jesus is telling his disciples, the end of days are amongst us. They're, they're here. And he tells them, take heed that nobody deceives you. So we as people today have got to be careful. And I'm telling you that in studying earthquakes and looking through these things that Jesus tells us as predictions of the end of times, there are forecasts that he's giving. How many of you trust the weatherman? Not one person in the room raised their hand. They got a 50-50 shot of getting it, right? They say it's going to be partly cloudy. What's that mean? Sun, sunshine, and some clouds. So, you, I mean, you could say that. It's, it could be right either way. If it's all, you know, just one little cloud, that's partly cloudy. Or it might be clouds all over the whole thing. So they got a pretty easy job, right? So Jesus isn't doing that kind of prediction. He's predicting exact. He's predicting precise things to watch for. So we can't take this like we're watching the Weather Channel and they're saying partly cloudy or partly sunny or, or a chance of rain. This is real stuff. So as Jesus tells us and tells his disciples that watch for these things, that earthquakes are going to happen in the last days. So as we look, I've got these uh, graphs pulled up. Hopefully they work. Grantsburg campus, they struggled a little bit, but... Here they are. So in the past 100 years, beginning at 1900 and going through to today, look at the incline of the number of earthquakes and the magnitude of earthquakes in the last 100 years. It's pretty amazing, right? So if Jesus tells us, watch for these signs, we should watch for things like this. Amen? Yeah. It's not about saying, predicting days it's not about predicting months or what uh, Jewish holiday it's going to happen on the way a lot of people do next one Leslie it's black see what a wonderful slide isn't that so, that's a tell all slide right there it's just letting you know everything's going on that looks like my life <laughs> just <laughs> kind of blank, right? So that's not going to work. Yeah, it's showing on there. But that slide was supposed to be a slide that shows the last 30 years since 1980. And if you break it down to the 1980 uh, picture, you can look it up. You can look this stuff up online. Just Google it. Google will tell you everything, right? And they got these events in there. And it shows you that the incline since 1980 has increased even more so than those since the last 100 years. So it's happening as we're living. The times are here. And I know that we grew up in church, and I'm sure Greg, growing up all of his life, heard some preacher preaching about the end of days and the end of times and the rapture of the church and how that Jesus is coming back and he's going to receive us to himself and how that all these things are going to happen. And it's so easy to become callous because we've heard it so long. 
I'm sure perhaps you've heard some Methodist preacher back in the day preaching about the end of times. And it's like eventually we get so callous to it, it's like, I don't know if that's going to happen or not. But Jesus tells us to don't be deceived, right? Hold fast the faith that we have. So as we're thinking about this and looking at this, that these graphs show us that the intensity is happening of what Jesus predicted. Earthquakes are happening. Do we recognize it? Are we putting it on our radar to say, well, I'm concerned about that? Because if that's a predictor of the last days, and Jesus does tell us that he's going to return again and receive us to himself. He said, I'm going to the Father. It's John chapter 14. I'm going to the Father. I'm going to go prepare a place for you. And I'm going to build many mansions there that we read at all the funerals, right? John chapter 14. He tells them, when I go away, I'm going to go away, but I'm sending the Holy Spirit, and then I'm going to return and receive you back to myself. Jesus is coming to receive the church that Jesus, that Leslie sang about a minute ago. We'll be a church that's ready for you. Right? The song that we just sang just a few minutes ago. Even so come. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. It says that in Revelation. John the Revelator said that. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. How, how long has it been since that was your prayer? How long has it been since you prayed, Jesus, I can't wait for you to get here. You see, the days we're living in, as I look around, and they tell us, you know, the percentage-wise that in Lewis County that about 3,000 people go to church today, and there's 10,000 people that don't. So that means about that, that are not born-again Christians. They are not, uh, church attendance won't get you there. I'm not saying that. I'm saying born-again Christians, people that believe and trust in Jesus, that place their faith in Him. There's about 3,000 of them today in Lewis County. About 10,000 don't believe. So if we pray that Jesus comes, we know in the rest of this chapter, in, in Mark chapter 13, if you read on through the rest of it, Jesus preaches a sermon to his disciples about the tribulation and the things that's going to happen after these things happen. So once he comes and the rapture happens, there's going to be seven years of tribulation because you can go back and study Daniel, the prophet, and how that he says and he counts the days and predicts the days and God gives him and tells him there's going to be seven years. You don't want to live through that, folks. Everybody say amen. amen. I don't want to live through that. That's where you talk about the mark of the beast and all this and that. And everybody talks about these chips and all that stuff. That's not going to be the mark of the beast. It may be after Jesus comes and receives the church, but the church has got to leave before the mark of the beast happens. So don't worry about all that. We're going to be gone. If you're ready to meet Jesus as your Savior, you're going to be gone. You're not going to have to worry, are they implanting me with a chip or putting 666 on my head or on my hand? It's not about, some people worry whenever you go to McDonald's and order a Big Mac meal and put an apple pie on it, that the value meal comes up and it's $6.66. Oh no, buy me something else. <laughs> I don't want to be close to that. Right? Scary. I don't like the number. And it is a little freaky. I get a little freaked out when 666 comes up around me. I don't like it. I'm going to be honest with you, I don't like it. But that's not the mark of the beast. The mark of the beast is going to happen after Jesus takes his church out of this earth. And there's going to be seven years of tribulation. These slides show and prove to us that we're living in days where the predictions Jesus talked about is happening. And it's happening more and more. But in our life, I talked last week about how that there's not only earthquakes, but there's life quakes, right? Yes. 
that things happen and shake us to our core in this life. I want to read you this quote. This is by an unknown author. I don't know who unknown is, but he had a lot of quotes. You can look through the Internet, and you'll see all kinds of quotes that says unknown. I don't know who that is, but they're pretty famous, whoever they are. Um, maybe it's a person that didn't want to take credit for nothing. Maybe that's the way we all need to be. We're just saying, yeah, that was me. I was unknown. That was, that was me. I said that. I want to read you this quote. It says, grief is like an earthquake. The first one hits you, and the world falls apart. Even after you put the world together again, there are aftershocks, and you never really know when those will come. Will that one show up on the screen? No? Grief. The psalmist said in Psalms 31, verse 10, I'm dying of grief. My years are shortened by sadness. Sin has drained my strength. I'm wasting away within. I'm dying from grief. And I wonder if Jesus, in the midst of what he was going through, knowing what the Father told him that his days were numbered, that he saw and was predicting and giving his disciples these last chance opportunities to know what the future held. If he was facing some grief. Jesus himself with life quakes. It feels like the world is slipping out from underneath of you. Sure, he's got 12 disciples. Sure, he's got these 12 people that he loves. He cherishes them. He pours into their life, and it's, it's kind of like us. There's people that we pour into, right? That whenever we see a loved one or maybe a family member in need, we pour into them. We try really hard. We do everything we can to help them. Jesus was that way with his disciples. He poured into them for three years. But here he is at the last road final days and hours of his life and the disciples are worried about how beautiful the temple is how precious the rocks are it's kind of like us you know what it's called it's called misplaced priorities amen it's misplaced priorities and Jesus is speaking to us today the same way he spoke to them Time is short. Take advantage of every opportunity given to you to build my kingdom, the kingdom of God, because time is short. If there's 10,000 people that's going to die and go to hell or live through tribulation, it should grieve us. We should feel sorrowful for those that we know that's not going to make that call. It should be something that we place at high priority, and we say, I'm going to evangelize like I've never evangelized before. I'm going to witness like I've never witnessed before. I'm going to speak to family members that I've never talked to about church issues before. Why? Because we don't want them to go to hell. That's why. Because Jesus don't either. He hung on the cross 
so that all the world will be saved. Not that part of it, right? For God so loved the world. You don't say for God so loved part of the world. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But then it says whosoever believes on him would have everlasting life. We have to believe. We have to trust. We have to put our faith in him. So as we look in Mark chapter 13, we see this, that Jesus is predicting this, and he's talking about the, the tribulation. And then we just flip one chapter over in Mark chapter 14. Let's go to Mark chapter 14, and we'll look at verse 34, or somewhere thereabout. We'll restart at verse 32. Verse 32 says, Then it came to a place which is called Gethsemane, and we know that place to be the place where Jesus wept. When he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray, and he took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began troubled, and to be very deeply distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. Stay here and watch. In the New Living Translation, it, it quotes it this way. He told them, My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Jesus is facing what the psalmist has said in Psalms 31. That I'm dying from grief. And it is physically possible for a person to be in such agony that, that is in, in, in understanding where they're at, that with the grief bearing down on their heart, on their soul, that they can become sweats like uh, drops of blood that it talks about here in this text. It's absolutely possible for blood vessels to burst in your forehead from anguish and you to sweat blood. That's grief. That's what Jesus was facing here. So Jesus was facing this grief, and we know from uh, studying and life and everything else that there's five stages of grief. We hear it all the time, right? That there's five stages of grief. There's a denial phase. There's a phase of anger. There's a phase of bargaining. A phase of depression. And a phase of acceptance. Sometimes it's just denial, and sometimes we can live life, and we know things are happening, and we're going through this season, and, and rather than face head-on the things that's happening to us, we just deny it. We just put it off and act like it's something that won't happen, right? That's never going to happen to me. I'm going to live life ever how I want. I was telling Jill a while ago, we looked up, and I asked her, I said, well, how long are you going to live? And she said, I don't know. She said, 76 years? She's 13. I'm 42. I said, well, I'm three times older than you. By the time you're 40, I'll be 120. Not really, but if you calculate it out three times, it would be. Hopefully, I'm only 53 when she's 40, right? So finally, she said, well, what is average age? So we looked it up. I Googled it real fast, and average age is 86 for a girl, 84 for a guy. She's like, Wow. She's looking at it like, man, I got a long way to go, right? I looked at her and said, well, if I'm 84 and I'm 42, that means I'm halfway done. Amen. It's halfway over for me. She got a long way to go yet. Maybe. We ain't promised tomorrow. 
Nobody in this room is promised tomorrow. We have to live today the best way we can. And the way to live today is with faith in Jesus Christ. That if I leave this world tomorrow, I want to make heaven my home. Is that you? Do you have that confidence today that you know that you're not denying that and saying, well, I'll just live again tomorrow and everything's going to be hunky-dory and it's all going to be great? Maybe you're looking at that and you're facing something right now and you're going through some things in life and these stages of grief is kind of like life for you. It's like life quakes. Maybe you just deny some things and put it off. Maybe some people is a different phase where they get anger. Anybody ever been mad? Amen. I get mad sometimes. Leslie gets mad at me and with me. She got mad at me at 4 o'clock last night. Well, this morning. Last night to me, morning to her. See, she got mad at me for saying night. Went to bed last night, and I, 4 o'clock in the morning, was like, something buzzed by my head, and I was like, oh, and I jumped up. I thought it was a wasp. It sounded like a wasp. Pap, I didn't know what it was. So I jumped up and got the flash, or the, turned the light on and run in there and got the fly swat. And I was ready to get a wasp, you know. And I was looking around, wasn't nothing in there anywhere. I'm turning my pillows over. I'm flipping the bed back. I'm, I'm looking over on the, on the uh, whatever that dresser thing is there with all kinds of stuff on it. And I'm turning stuff over on it, looking for it. Can't find it. Finally, I stand there for a long time. I've got the curtains, winging them, you know, hoping he's behind the curtain or something. I'm going to get him. He ain't going to sting me in the middle of the night. I'm going to fight this battle. So as I'm there and I'm looking, finally she throwed a, like a wash rag looking thing over her eyes and said, you better hope I go back to sleep. I was like, okay, I hope you do too. Finally, I stand there for a few more minutes and the Bible says that good things come to those that wait, right? Lord, we're waiting for you. That's a song. Finally, he comes crawling out, and it's a stink bug. It's whack. Put the whack on him, get back comfortably in my bed, and I go to sleep. Why? Because I know it's taken care of. Issue's done, right? But I had to deal with anger. My boss once told me that a man will do a lot of things to keep him going to bed with a hungry wife. <laughs> Talk about some stuff that you'll go through at work and put up with ignorance and all this. You'll do a lot of things to go keep them going to bed with a hungry wife. You'll do a lot of things to keep them going to bed with a angry wife, too. Amen? <laughs> it's a newfound thing. But just last week, we had a leadership meeting in our house, and Dusty and Albie was there, and, and uh, Elizabeth and Ryan come over, and we're having this leadership meeting, and Leslie's going through this stuff with them, and we're talking and going on with some, you know, taking care of stuff with church and talk about how can we do this and how can we do that to be better. And, and we do it once a month. It's awesome. I love it. I love getting to share and, and brainstorm and think about stuff. And it's really, it's really a good thing. And I trust their words. And, and they, put, they put time and effort into doing that. Isabella's got to watch her little brother, and take care of him and keep him from ransacking the house while they're gone. And uh, Elizabeth always feeds him before she goes. That way she won't be trying to cook, I guess. I don't know. Isabel might not be able to cook. I was sitting there forever, and, 
And finally, Dusty and Albie, they stayed, and they, they'll usually hang around, and Greg and Donna knows how this is. That, that Dusty and Albie come over, you just might as well just go ahead and make them a bed or something because they're staying all night. It's just the way it is. They stay forever, and I love it. I love talking to them. And after they was gone, I was really tired that night because I got up early that morning, went and worked all day, and you know, and, and, and sitting around and, and talking. It was real late at night, and finally they got up and left, and it, they was done, I guess. And I was sitting there, and I was like, okay, I'm going to bed. I just went to bed. And I've been doing really good on my app, on my Bible app. Anybody got that, the Bible app, where you can go through it, and it gives you a little devotion and gives you a scripture to read, and, and it, it tells you how many days you've had in the app since you've missed a day. It's a streak, so it's something to be really be proud of, right? So I had this really long streak going. It was, I, I was really proud. I was proud of myself. And it's kind of like Jesus, it, uh, these disciples, look, Jesus, look at these beautiful walls I got going on here. Look at this big, beautiful building I got going on. And I'm looking at this app like that. I'm treating it that way. But then Dustin Albee's there all night, and I forget to read my app before I go to sleep. And I wake up the next morning, and I hit my phone, and when I did, it gives you a reminder I'm hours too late now. So now my streak is one. I was like, oh, man. It's like a gut-wrenching, I can't believe I let myself down. God, I've completely failed you because I missed one day in my app. It's easy to feel that way, isn't it? Anybody else do that? I'm guilty of it. it. It makes me feel that way that I'm so condemning of myself and I hold such a high standard for myself. When I do let him down, it feels like I can let the whole world down. It's like the all Bethesda is going to crash because Pastor Ben didn't read the app one day. Our God is bigger than that, church. Amen? His grace is deeper than that. He loves us more than that. And that's what Jesus was trying to get through to his disciples in this moment. He was telling them, don't worry about the bricks. Don't worry about the block. And I'm not telling you not to read your app. I'm telling you to read your app. It's a good thing. Amen, because it'll give you something to talk about with your coworkers through the day. Maybe they're not saved. I got some people that's not saved that just last week I was reading through my app one day and I was able to bring up a Bible text and show it to them. And I know they haven't read their Bible in years. It's a good thing. But my streak is not what I'm going to give an answer for. It's my heart. Amen? It's my love for God and my love for people that I'm going to give an account for. And God is asking us today, what are we going to do with this? So don't go through these stages of grief on little bitty, petty stuff. Amen? Grief will kill you. what it said what the psalmist said grief will kill you you're still alive your heart is still pumping but it's killing your soul it's killing your spirit man because you're living in denial of what you're going through that anger is set in anger is like a poison to your soul what about bargaining anybody ever bargain with God I don't know what you face. I don't know what your sins are, but maybe you get up in the morning and you pray and you read your Bible app and you're feeling like it's going to be a good day and, and you brag to God, well, God, I prayed today, I've read my app, and now I'm promising you, God, I'm not going to mess up and I'm not going to say today what I said yesterday. And before 10 o'clock in the morning, you've already said what you said yesterday and now you feel disappointed in yourself, right? You're bargaining with God and saying, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. 
I want to tell you, church, you need to quit telling God what you're not going to do or how you're going to fix your own life, and you need to go to him and pray to the Father and say, God, I need some help with these situations. I need some help with this sin that I'm going through. I'm asking you to help me get through this storm. Why? Because I've got a mess going on, and I need your help today. And when you pray for help, he says he'll send a helper. Amen? I believe if you'll quit trying to fix yourself and you'll let God fix you, it's going to be a better day. Earthquakes. What about depression? Anybody ever face that? I, I want to see a show of hands. How many's ever dealt with depression in any shape, way, or form? I've I've dealt with it. It's rough stuff. Depression is real. But the last stage of grief, the final and fifth stage, is acceptance. That's the world I want us to live in. Let's don't drag this out and make it go longer than it should. Amen? Whether it's loss of a loved one, whether it's maybe you lost your job that you thought you was going to retire in, maybe you've got issues going on with this or that and you're going through these stages of grief, get to acceptance. You know why? Because the moment you begin to accept some things, tell God here's where I am that's when your help comes the quicker you can get to acceptance the quicker you're getting out of your mess Bible says we just have to accept that we're a sinner amen Paul was a sinner he accepted his sin Apostle Paul said I'm the chief among sinners the reason we accept that we're sinners is because we cannot be saved without his grace. You cannot clean yourself up good enough to get to heaven. Amen. It's the truth. You can't fix your life enough to make and earn your way to heaven. You can't give enough in an offering. You can't do enough uh, work at the church. You can't do all this stuff. It, it's not going to matter. Does it help? Yes, you should help work at the church. It's okay, right? You should help try to, to whenever we put a roof on. I'd like to see a gang of guys here so that nobody has to work and kill themselves. That we could put the roof on in two, three, four hours and be done and go home and everybody have a good time, right? Amen. Amen. It's going to happen real soon. We're ready. I'm ready for the I'm ready for the roof to get on. We've went and got quotes. We got metal. We're going to be able to do it soon. And the good thing is, it's way cheaper than we thought. Amen. I'm not saying we're doing it cheaply. I'm saying the metal costs less than we thought. And I'm glad for that. One of our advisory council members, Andrew Grubb from City Reach Church in Ashland, put this post this morning, and I seen it, and I was like, I want to say this during church today to end our message with this. He said, don't try to go up the ministry ladder. There is no ladder but just a table to serve. We are servants, not climbers. Ambition won't get us any closer to Jesus. In our world that we live in, like at work, I never could, I don't like failing. Does anybody like failing? Anybody ever in a ball game just like, man, I can't wait to lose this thing? That's why you, is that the way you coach? coach? You don't coach to lose, do you? You coach to win, amen? And losing ain't fun. When I was growing up, we had to, we would strip tobacco, 
And we'd be out there, and, and Dad would tear off the, the trash on the bottom, and how he'd be tearing the lugs off and putting it in a, in a box, and, and I'd be over there pulling the reds off and putting them in a box and raising tobacco, right? And, and as I was doing that, and, and I'd be catching, I'd make sure I was ahead all the time. I couldn't stand any tobacco to be on my table. So if I'd get over there, Pap, and I'd go over and, and get all of them in there, and I, I'd be over there with the jack real fast, and I'd be trying to jack the box down to get it, and then pulling the strings and getting it back out of there real fast so I'd go back and strip more back and throw in the box. Couldn't stand to be behind. I'm, I'm competitive like that. It's just my nature of who I am. I cannot stand to be behind. And how he'd be over there just lollygagging around. <laughs> Didn't care if he had a pile that high or that high. Didn't matter. He don't sweat the small stuff, I'm telling you. It just wear me out. And I do everything in life that way. I go at life that way. Of striving. I, I want to be the best me I can be. But the Bible says that's vain glory. And the Bible says that's sin. So I'm admitting to you today my faults and my weaknesses and some of my failures so I can tell you, I'm ready to just take it easy a little bit. Amen? And I'm going to pray. I ain't climbing old ministry ladder. I don't want to be a presbyter. I don't want to be a superintendent. I don't, I don't want to be anything but what God wants me to be. Amen? I don't need any of that. I don't need any title. I don't, I don't need none of that stuff. All I want to be is who Pastor Bell's t taught me to be, is the guy that scrubs, scrubs the commodes, cleans the sink, does whatever needs to be done. I want to be a servant, don't you? That's who I want to be. Won't you stand with me? Don't try to climb the ministry ladder. We're just all here at the table. In our society that we're living on, the culture that we're living in, We're not trying to one-up each other here at church. And there's nobody in this room any better than anybody else in this room. Amen? Ernie said this all the time early on in my Christianity. He was my Sunday school teacher. He said it's all level ground at the foot of the cross. It's all level ground at the foot of the cross. And we're all the same, Jason. We're just servants. And that's our job is to serve, love God, and love people. If we do that and serve others, the world will be a better place. Because if we strive to build things the way Jesus told them, don't build things, build people. Invest in people. That's what will last forever. Your investment in people. When Greg, when you sit around the shop and tell stories and Tell people that don't know about God and you're telling them stories about God and how he's doing this in your life and that in your life. That's eternal things. Amen? And it's what matters. Invest in people and you won't go wrong. That's what Jesus did. And that's what I'm going to do. Won't you bow your head and close your eyes if you will. I want everybody here to pray a very simple prayer. Everybody just say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me through this message? I just want you to listen just for a moment to the Holy Spirit. That that prayer would be a prayer where you're seeking God and an answer from God.
Maybe he'll illuminate in your heart and he'll talk to you about how that you've been caught up and you've been running a rat race and maybe you're too busy and God's telling you right now, just slow down. Maybe He's telling you, invest in your kids. Invest in your grandkids. Maybe the Holy Spirit's speaking to you right now and He's giving you guidance on how to be a better Christian. And He's laying upon your heart to serve others more than serving yourself. altar it's always open there's a freedom to come here and we'll pray with you we'll encourage you everybody's your eyes closed head bowed I always want to ask is there anybody in this room to say the Holy Spirit speaking to me and I need some change by uplifted hand saying the Holy Spirit is speaking to me and I gotta I gotta make some changes amen thank you for that hand Anyone else? Thank you for that hand. Anybody else? Still others. Holy Spirit's saying, earthquakes are happening. Are you noticing? My mom used to sing a song in church. It said, soon and very soon. We are going to see the King. Soon and very soon, we're going to see Him. Prepare your heart to meet your Maker today. Stop striving for perfection and accept His grace. There's people in this room that needs to hear that. Stop striving for perfection and receive His grace and His mercy. I want to pray over you. Father, I thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for Bethesda. I thank you for all the people in the church here. God, raise us up to be a church full of servants. Lord, that we would serve the body with gladness, with cheerfulness. God, that you would show us a way to live life according to your purpose, according to your plan. Lord, that your will would be known amongst us. And God, that we would love you more and more every day. Pray over individuals in this room that are struggling with issues in life. God, I pray for marriages to be strengthened in this moment. God, for those in this room that are having financial difficulties, I pray, God, that you would bless them indeed. Lord, for young people that are asking about their hope and their future. 
God, give them clarity. Give them destiny. In Jesus' name I pray.